0: The last couple weeks, we've been in a series on prayer, a series called My Prayer, Prayers That Heaven Hears. Have you been blessed by these series, by these couple lessons you've heard? Brother wall did an outstanding job last week, pastor, the week before that. I'm privileged to be able to bring the third lesson to you tonight. Uh, but before we do that, you may be seated. God bless you. I'm going to do a quick recap of some things we've learned. pastor talked to us a couple weeks ago about my prayer prepared. My prayer prepared. Um, Prayer is a personal and private communication with God. It is the vehicle for spiritual life. Prayer is the breath of life for us spiritually. Prayer is not our last resort it's our first resource our first resource prayer is not me imposing my will on god prayer is where i get my priorities in alignment with god's will in god's word some excellent excellent points that pastor brought to us a couple weeks ago we have we have to press i like this we have to press order into the disorder and the chaos of our life. Uh, We do that by making time for prayer, carving that prayer time out and setting that aside and saying, this is my commitment to God. This is my consecrated 20, 30, 40, 60 minutes, however long you can give. This is my consecrated time to God that I'm going to press this order, spiritual order into my chaotic schedule in life. Uh, prayer is where I release to God to do I release God to do the impossible in my life. I release God to do the impossible when I pray. We are to pray with a whole heart. We've seen in Jeremiah chapter 29. We are to come to God with a true heart. Hebrews chapter 10 1 Corinthians 14 and 15 we must pray with the Spirit and with understanding, um, a lot of people just are kind of one one lane there. Um, but the Bible actually instructs us to um, go down both lanes once in a while. Take take both of those roads. Uh, pray with the Spirit and pray with understanding, uh, and and God will grow you and stretch you and bless you in that way. Uh, pray with confidence. First John chapter five. We can pray with confidence. Uh, praying with humility, Second Chronicles 7 and 14. When my people humble themselves and pray, then God said, I will hear from heaven. Uh, so we pray with humility. We pray with persistence. We pray in submission. And finally, we pray with thanksgiving. We pray with thanksgiving. First Thessalonians, uh, give thanks for this is the will of God uh, concerning you. Uh, lesson 2. Uh, Brother Wall pre- uh, pre- uh, taught, I won't say preach, he taught on my prayer accepted, my prayer accepted with God. Talked about how we have prayer prayers that are stored in vials in heaven. Uh, Revelations 5 and 8 tells us that our prayers are stored up uh, in jars or bowls or vials, whatever um, your Bible says. Uh, John 15 and 7, abiding in Christ, letting him direct our will And transform our affections also praying in the name of Jesus Uh, most of us we don't have to uh, be taught that we know that we've we've been groomed in that we pray in the name of Jesus amen that's there's authority there there's power there Uh, we learned that last Wednesday Uh, by not praying in his name we can offer up counterfeit prayers we don't we don't want to offer up something that is counterfeit we exercise faith Hebrews chapter 11 we pray in faith Prayers are acceptable when they are prayed in sincerity. Facades have to come off when we enter into prayer. When we go into our quiet place of prayer with God, we have to strip off the facades and just get real with God. Um, There's no faking. There's no faking with the Lord. He knows us. He sees us. We strip off the facades. We strip off. We get down to the insecurities uh, so God can help those things in our life that are broken. So prayer is acceptable when we go to God in sincerity. And then we do what pleases God by praying, by releasing God to change us, change the way we think. Also, uh, don't waste time praying without having first offered forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness, but we offer forgiveness. This helps our prayer to be acceptable to God. I'm going to talk to you tonight in lesson three about prayer. My prayer rejected. My prayer rejected. Psalm chapter 22 and 2 says this, Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. The psalmist was making his complaint to God. He was saying, God, I, I call on you, but you're not hearing me. There's no answer from heaven. You hear my voice, but yet there's no relief in my situation. Um, You can imagine what that may feel like, especially um, in a season that David went through, oftentimes fearing and running for his life. Our prayers are rejected when they are unconfessed, when there is unconfessed sin and when there is unjudged sin in our lives. Isaiah says this in 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So what the prophet is saying, he said, yes, he has the ability to deliver you, and he can hear you when you call to him. But there's a reason why you're not getting the response from heaven. He said, your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you. That He will not hear you. Unconfessed and unjudged sin will cause our prayers to be rejected by God. Sin separates us from God. Because God is holy. He is separate from sin. God will not receive sin. Now He does receive sinners. But he does not receive the sin in their life. This is where people mistake grace. Uh, Grace is not permission to approach God and expect him to receive us and keep the sin in our life. Um, God says, I will receive you, but you have to leave the sin behind. I I will take the sinner, but I'm not taking the sin. You can come as you are, but you cannot stay as you were. God expects us to change. God will receive you, but He will not receive your sin. Having sin in our life that is not confessed, repented of, and judged by God will cause us to have a a gap in our prayer life that will not reach God. If we want accepted prayers, we must acknowledge that we are sinners and that we need God's grace To push our way into the presence of God without confession or regard for our sin is to be inconsiderate of God's holiness and ignorant of our unrighteousness. We cannot press our way into his presence and just demand that he hear us and answer us. There is a process. You would never press your way into the president's Oval Office. You would never be able to press your way in, into government offices, certain places. You just cannot do that. Why would it be any different to approach God that way? We come humbly before God, confessing, Lord, I have sin. I need to be forgiven. Sin must be dealt with. God and man must deal with the sin before our prayers can be effective. Sin requires confession to God, and sin requires judgment From God. And I heard a preacher say this not long ago. Sin actually cries out to God to be judged. Uh, When the angels heard the cry of Sodom, they said, For the sin, the cry of Sodom's sin has come up to my ears. And God came down to judge that city. Sin actually cries out to God for judgment. It must be dealt with. Therefore we must cry out to God for mercy confessing our sins. Psalm 66 and 18 says, I had if I had not confessed my sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If we are expecting our prayers to have prosper to prosper with God, we must first confess anything that is sin before God. In the Old Testament form of worship as the priests made their way into the tabernacle, they were first confronted by a massive bronze altar where sacrifice for sin had to be made before they could go any further. We must always visit our sin altar before we attempt to move into that holy place of communion with God. I've heard it put this way. The bronze altar was Two to three times bigger or larger than the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, if you know anything about the two. And I, I, for lack of time, I can't get into great detail with that. All too often, this preacher said this, we want great big arcs, but we want little bitty altars. But in the Old Testament form of worship, they had a great big altar and they had just a small ark. That's how it is. That's God's design for us. We cannot bypass the altar in our life for sin and expect to get to that holy place where the ark is. We've got to spend time at the altar confessing sin, getting our sin out of our life and getting our heart rights with God. So that we can have that close communion in that intimate relationship in the holy presence of God. 1 John 1 And 8 through 9 says this, if we say that we have no sin, hear this, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there comes a moment of admission of saying, I have sin in my life. I am not perfect. I am not righteous. God, I need your righteousness. I need your holiness. I need your mercy. Proverbs 28 and 13 tells us, he who covers his sin will not prosper. But whosoever confesses and forsakes them, he will have mercy. He will have mercy. Uh, took, pulled this from my notes. Pastor uh, made this comment. Some time ago, I I felt the need to write that down. Shame will tell you to cover your sins. God tells you to confess your sins. Shame will cause you to cover these things. God says confess them so that we can get them out of the way. God sees us. He sees the depths of our hearts. He knows us intimately. Nothing is hid from God. As we just mentioned in our preview earlier, we have to just take off the facades when it comes to God and say, Lord, you know me. There's no hiding the things that are here in my life, in my heart. Help me deal with these things. Let me get these things out of me. It would behoove us to confess anything that we can think of and ask for God's mercy so that our prayers will have an effect. Psalms 24 and 3 through 5 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Next, our prayers are rejected when we pray with unbelief. James 1 and 6 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Driven and tossed by the wind. So there's this element of doubt that can take over our minds when we're in prayer. Maybe uh, you didn't get the answer you were looking for. Or maybe the situation didn't work out the way that you thought it would work out. Or maybe God has delayed in, in his answer for whatever it is you've prayed about. And the devil comes in and he tries to beat us with doubt and say God does not care. And God is not listening. And God is, God is not concerned about your problems. And we allow these doubtful thoughts to fester in our mind. And some people have prayed about the situation for years and they've allowed doubt to dominate their thoughts. So they just go through the motions of saying the prayers but not believing the prayers. We have to pray in faith, believing that God will answer according to His perfect will. These prayers of doubt are like they're ineffective prayers. They they they're wanting prayers. They're even offensive prayers, if I can say that. That's a bold statement. Uh, doubtful prayers are offensive prayers to God because God knows who he is and God knows his abilities. God knows what he is capable of. So when we pray in doubt, we're not seeing God for who he is and we're not seeing God for what he is capable of. And it offends his nature because he who spoke the world into existence can can answer and make a way in a moment. But when we come to him in doubt, it limits him. It limits him. Uh, Jesus went to certain places and was only to do, able to do just a few miracles because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief, they frustrated him. They even tied his hands in his miracles. When we pray in doubt, we pray beggars' prayers. We pray with wishful thinking. Matthew 21 and 22 says, And all things, all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. So if we receive because we pray in faith, then it's conceivable that if we pray in doubt, then the Lord will reject our prayers. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. When we pray, let us pray in faith that our prayers will be acceptable and not rejected by God. Believe God. You know, faith is a choice. Faith is not always a feeling. Really, it's not at all. We say, I feel faith. But it's not really a feeling. It's an impression in your spirit that God just puts in there. A strong impression that is given by God. That's kind of that gift of faith. But sometimes it's not there. but, But you choose to believe. You choose to stand on the word. You choose to believe God's promises, so you pray those. Lord, I choose to believe. It don't look good right now. It, it, it don't seem all as well right now. But I choose to believe, so I pray this. And I pray this by the authority of your word. Those are the prayers that God honors when we have mountaintop faith, even when we're in the valley. God knows who he is, and he knows what he's capable of. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah, now what we just heard last Sunday, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, fill in that blank, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Next, my prayers are rejected when I pray for a, With a love of pleasure. When I pray with a love of pleasure. Let's let's talk about this. James 4 and 3 says, You ask and do not receive. Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. That you may spend it on your pleasures. Motives matter to God. Motives matter to God. He knows our motives. We, we, We wonder sometimes, well God's just not doing it. How about check your motives? Check your motives. Ask God to purge your motives. God, purge my motives with your righteousness. Let my motives be rooted in your love. Let my motives be rooted in your word. God cares about the motives of our heart. I would say this affects us as North Americans probably more than anything else. And God rejects many of our prayers. Many modern Christians in our current culture have this feeling of entitlement. We we can have an attitude of expectancy not because of faith, but because we get anything else we want. Mm, I'll just let that settle for a minute. Because we can have anything else we want with the swipe of a card. Or or with the push even of a button on our phone now. We can order anything we want off of Amazon. We can get it off of eBay. We can order our groceries online. We can do anything we want at any time we want. We can can buy a car and have it shipped to our house. As North Americans, we are entitled. We are spoiled. We are spoiled. And sometimes, I'm not being harsh, I hope. I'm, I'm just being realistic. Sometimes we can carry that over into our prayer life. And expect God to just, just meet our demands and just give me what I want. That, that microwave mentality. Lord, I don't have time to wait. I can have anything else I want, Lord. I want this right now. I need this need met right now. I need you to do this for me right now. We have to go to God and remember that it's about his kingdom. Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. My kingdom go. Go. And my will be diminished. God, I want what you want. You must increase. I must decrease. Paul warned Timothy this. He said that there would come a time when men would be lovers of pleasure even more than they are lovers of God. In the last day. In the last day. I believe we're living in the last day. Uh, men, men love pleasure. Human, humanity loves pleasure. We love self. We love to take care of self. And we love self sometimes more than we love God. It's possible to love the gifts more than the giver. It's possible to love the presence more than the presence. We love His presence with a T more than we love His presence with a C. We want the good things of God. God, give me, give me, give me, give me the gifts. Lord, I don't want to put in the work. I don't want to put in the sacrifice. I don't want to put in the time, but I'll take the gifts. We don't want the altar, but we want the ark. Jesus admonished his followers. He, he said, you follow me for the fish and the loaves. And then he would go on to tell them, don't, don't follow me for the temporal things. Follow me for the eternal things, because those are the things that really matter. It's not a, It doesn't matter the good gifts that God gives us. All those things are going to, Pass away. But if I can have the eternal things, Lord, I'll take that. That's what, he's, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for them that are hungry for the heavenly things, not the fish and the loaves. When we seek God for selfish motives and ambitions, our prayers may very well be prayers that get rejected. We should strive to pray, Lord, what is most beneficial for the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of self. Matthew 6 and 33 said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things, they'll be added to you. My prayers are rejected when I have pride. When I pray with pride or when I have pride in my life. Job 35 and 12 said, there they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. The pride of evil men. God hates pride. It's that simple. God hates pride. He refuses to work with pride. It is a natural grace repellent. It's a natural grace repellent. God God says, I will not have anything to do with pride. You want pride? You can keep pride, but you keep it over there. It repels God's presence and grace. When we have pride in us, we do not readily confess our sins or our faults to God. Because God, because of the pride, we cannot see them. We don't see the, the flaws in our life. We don't see the faults in our life because we've got pride. All we see is the good things. We see how great we are. We see how good we are. We see how upright we are and how well we do life. Pride causes us to have an elevated uh, outlook on ourselves, an inflated view of oneself it's pride that will cause you to point out that speck of wood in your neighbor's eye but you can't see the log as the Lord said in your own eye pride blinds you we have pride in us we, we resist to let the grace of God work in our lives we will literally resist his grace from working and changing us because of pride uh, we may not even realize this Think about this. You may not even know it, but you may be in direct opposition with the God that you claim to serve because of pride. Because of pride. You may be working against the Lord, although you think that you are upright and doing well. God, search me. Know me. Try me, Lord. Help me to see the pride. Help me to see the things that are not right in my life. God moves through areas of our lives that are submitted to him. Pride does not submit. Pride is stiff and rigid. Pride will not bend. So pride must be broken. Pride must be broken. God rejects this attitude. When a prayer is prideful, it sees God as one doing its bidding. Instead of asking God, what would you require of me? God rejects this prayer. Psalms 138 and 6 says, Though the Lord be high, yet he hath respect to the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. James 4 and 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride will cause you to lose out with God. But humility always wins with the Lord. Don't let petty pride come between you and God. And cause your prayers to bounce off of a brass heaven. My prayers are rejected when I have pride. My prayers are rejected when I have indifference in my heart. When I have indifference in my life. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. 2 Kings 13, 18 and 19. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck the ground Five or six times. This is a unique story. This was Elisha, his his dying words to the king of Israel. He said, take your bow and arrow and shoot it out the window. And so he took it and he shot one out the window. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance against the Assyrians. So th- he's on to something here. He's got a word for the king. And he said, now I want you to take your arrows and I want you to strike the ground. Okay, so he had a, a, like a, this kind of precursor by telling him, now shoot it out the window. This is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And then he said, now take it and strike the ground. So he, he should have been on to something at that point. So he's the old crazy old man on his deathbed three times. And he angered the prophet. He said, you should have struck the ground. You knew that this was the arrow of the Lord. I told you what these were. This was the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. But you went soft. He said, God would have destroyed the Assyrians. God would have wiped them out if you would have done with some vigor, with some some fervency, if you would have acted. He said, because you were indifferent. Now the Lord's only going to give you a little deliverance. You're just going to have a small amount of deliverance. I could have wiped them off the map, but instead I'm just going to give you a small victory. uh, God does not like indifference. God does not like indifference. If you ever have attempted to converse with another person and they acted as if they could care less about that conversation, you can understand this point. Have you ever talked to someone and you can see on their face that they are not engaged in that conversation, that they don't want to be there, that they could care less? Probably your kids. And you just want to lay hands on them because that frustrates you because you're trying to have a conversation or you're trying to give them some advice or you're trying to help them or you're trying to give them some direction and they're just whatever, indifferent. They're indifferent. When we are indifferent, we are uninterested. When we are indifferent, we are unmoved. When we are indifferent, we are bored with God, and the things of God have become common to us. They become common. When we are indifferent, we become callous to the spiritual things. We can be in a service that is on fire for God and unmoved and checked out because we are indifferent. This God rejects. In this entertainment-driven culture of ours, we must be careful not to become indifferent to the things of God because they do not scratch our itch for entertainment. This can happen in our prayer life because we don't have the praise team leading us into the glory of God. We don't have high-octane preaching compelling us to the altar. We become indifferent in our prayer lives because we need those things to charge us emotionally. To get us into prayer. Indifference says, I I could take it or leave it, really. Indifference is an attitude that God rejects. It doesn't matter one way or the other to me. Prayer is not that important. I like, I like the worship services. I like the preaching. I I like the the atmosphere of a good Sunday service. Wednesdays don't really do it for me. It's too boring. I, I don't do teaching. God is interested in having a relationship with those that desire his presence, that desire the deep things of God. When we come to him in prayer, it is essential that we, we are intentional about digging down deep and finding within us a desire that says, God, I want you. I want this. I need you. But I don't just need you. I want more of you. We have to be in content. When it comes to prayer and the things of God, my prayer is rejected when I have an unforgiving spirit, an unforgiving spirit. These prayers will cause us to lose out. And whenever you stand, Mark 11 to 25, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. You're like, yeah, okay, Lord, that's easy. Easy for you to say, well, really it wasn't because he had to forgive the whole world. And he had to bear the sins of the whole world before him and after him. So it probably wasn't that easy for him to say. And when he was on the cross, Father, forgive them. Unforgiveness is like burning the same bridge of mercy to others that you will at some point need to cross to get to God. God requires forgiveness of us. It is like the 11th commandment. It's the unwritten commandment of God. For to whom much is given, much is required. Much is required. God has given us great mercy. Those that fail to forgive have failed to remember that that great debt that we owed to God. That great debt that was paid for us on Calvary's cross. When we truly understand what God has done for us, And continues to do for us. Then we will be more apt to forgive those that have wronged us. But you have to understand where you came from. You have to remember what God has forgiven you of and washed away in your life. So that you can extend that kind of mercy to others. Forgiveness. Now hear this. I know this is not easy for for everyone. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. We've heard that a few times tonight. Uh, Forgiveness is a choice. We don't offer forgiveness because we feel like offering forgiveness. I I don't feel like being merciful. Matter of fact, I feel like bringing the wrath down. But instead, I'm going to offer mercy. (laughs) Because God has offered mercy for me when he could have and probably has felt like bringing the wrath down once or twice or more forgiveness is not a choice or it's not a feeling it's a choice forgiveness and hear this it it is not condoning what was done to you when you forgive somebody you're not condoning the pain that they put you through you're not condoning the damage that was done to you forgiveness is not minimizing what was done forgiveness is not pretending that the pain and the hurt is not real Forgiveness doesn't release the offender. Forgiveness releases the offended. Forgiveness is a seed that is sown in faith, believing that the fruit of mercy will grow in our lives in a time of judgment. James 2 and 13 says, For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Offer mercy. Give mercy. Because you're going to need it. You're going to need it. There's going to come a point in time where you're going to need mercy from God. My prayers are rejected when we neglect God's word. When we neglect the word of God. Proverbs 28 and 9 says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayers shall be an abomination. Woo! Woo! That's tough talk right there. An abomination? You know what that means, right? God hates that. An abomination is something that God hates. So he's saying that when you turn your ear away from hearing the word of the Lord, and then you try to turn around and offer prayer to God, God's like, oh, oh, oh no. Oh, no, don't even come at me with that. It's an abomination. God's like, get back. Go get it right. Go get some word in you. Get the word in your heart. Get the word in your ears so it can filter down into your spirit. There are several ways we can neglect God's word in our life. We can neglect the word of God through a lack of personal study and spiritual discipline in our daily lives. 2 Timothy 2 and 15, the Apostle Paul said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You've got to know what's in this book. It is your responsibility. It's not God's responsibility to put this word in you. This is your responsibility to put this word in your heart. He said, study to show yourself approved, Timothy, that you're not ashamed, that you cannot be put to shame. And that you can rightly divide the word of truth. By a consistent study of God's word, we can learn God's ways. We can learn God's character. We can learn what pleases God and what displeases God. We can grow ourselves. We can build ourselves up. Because His word is many things. And one of those things is it's food for our souls. Job 23 and 12 says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. There is some disciplines that you cannot do without. You don't realize it until you quit doing it. The word of God is one of those things. You can get just kind of go through the motions in the word, but then once you stop, you become malnourished spiritually. You start to realize, I need that discipline. I need that word in my life. That's how reading and hearing the word makes us stronger. It is food. It is nourishment for the soul. God loves his word. God honors his word. And God watches over his word to carefully bring it to pass. Joshua 1 and 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, I love this part, shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. You want to know how to prosper in your life? You want to know how to have good success in your life? Stay in this book. Follow what's in it. Apply it to your life. God said, I'll make you prosper. I'll I'll give you good success. It's a simple recipe. Next, we can neglect God's word through a lack of faith when the word is preached. A lack of faith. Pastor, you, you hit on this Sunday. We can neglect God's word when we do not get, apply it to our life through faith. We don't mix it up properly with faith. We don't receive it with faith when it's preached to us. When we We receive the word by backing the word. We back the preaching of the word by our mouths, by vocally saying, amen, I agree, yes, me, Lord, yes, Lord, more, Lord, so be it, Lord. Our words are powerful. And when we agree, that that mixes that word with faith. There's a mix-up going on. When we stand on our feet in agreement, you're standing In agreement with the Word, you're you're receiving that Word. You're you're mixing that Word with faith. We back the Word by doing this. This is how we receive the Word of God into our spirits. We hear it, and we come into agreement with it. Like one preacher said, it's like baking a cake. The The preacher gives the recipe, he gives the ingredients, while the hearers take it, and they begin to mix it up. You mix up the batter. You mix up what's being preached. You're mixing that up with faith. And then together you put it in the oven. And God bakes a great cake for us to feast on. That's that's the simplicity of mixing your faith with the word of God. When we do not mix our faith with the word of God, our prayers can be rejected. Because we're turning our ear from the word like the scripture just told us. It's arguably the most important part of any given service, the proper response to the Word of God. Pastor mentioned, I don't know if it was in the pre-service meeting Sunday or out here, that, that it doesn't matter how great the preaching is or how anointed the preaching is, but if we don't receive it in faith, it does us no good. It does not prosper us. So really, how important is it to receive the Word of God by faith and to be in agreement with the Word of the Lord? Because that makes our prayers, that makes us acceptable to God. Hebrews 4 and 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering into his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message that they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith with it of those that obeyed. There were them that obeyed and them that did not. And some lost out on the promises of God. We can neglect God's word by not maintaining a teachable spirit. Not maintaining a teachable spirit. The teaching of God's word is meant to challenge us. It's meant to correct us so that he can stretch us from what we are currently to who he has designed us to be purposefully. God's word is to help us get from point A to point B. But if we do not maintain a teachable spirit, we'll always remain at point A. Because you can't tell me nothing, preacher. I've got this under control. I know how to live my life. Don't try to give me correction. You can give me the good stuff. You can throw some candy and give me something to shout around. But don't give me correction. But correction is how we grow. The word corrects us. The word challenges us. Just as the clay is in the hands of the potter, God desires us to be moldable and pliable in his hands. This is possible by maintaining a right spirit and a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. There is probably nothing more frustrating to a teacher, a preacher, a pastor, a leader than somebody who does not have a teachable spirit. and you cannot help them. You cannot help that person. They are bound for destruction because they will not receive the correction and the teaching. We must maintain a teachable spirit. When we attempt to pray to God after neglecting his word, it is possible that we may actually offend God. Because what we were essentially doing is telling God, I don't really want to hear what you have to say, but I want you to hear what I have to say. God rejects these prayers. Imagine having a conversation with someone that doesn't want to hear a word you have to say but wants you to hang on every detail when they start talking. It's frustrating. God understands this and God rejects this. What would be beneficial for us is to open our lips, open our ears before we open our lips. Let us hear the word. Let us receive the word. I've seen it put this way. God's given you two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you speak. Let us open our ears to the word of God before we open our mouth in prayer so that we're acceptable and pleasing to God. When we know God's word, we'll know how to pray. And I'm closing if anybody's on the keys tonight. When we know God's word, we'll know how to pray. We'll know what will be rejected. We'll know what will be accepted. We cannot neglect God's word and expect God to answer our prayers or even hear our prayers. God is expecting us to ingest his word, to take his word in through reading and study. God is expecting us to take his word in through preaching and teaching. But if you cannot do these things, then you cannot expect God to hear you when you call. There is a process. There is a process to being acceptable to God or rejected by God. I don't know about you, but I want God to hear when I call. I want God to hear when I pray. I want God to be pleased when I pray. David said, Lord, let let the prayer of my lips. Let the praise of my, my lips be acceptable as, as the evening sacrifice. Lord, I want you to hear me when I call out to you. God, I, I heard a story just last Sunday by one of our brethren, how he, he didn't even have a chance to hardly pray and call out to the name of the Lord, and God saved him from a situation. Well, that happens for a reason that happens because of the good prayers and the acceptable prayers that have already taken place in our life when we when our prayers are accepted and they are right with God then the short prayers matter even more when we don't have time to get into a a 20 or 30 or 40 minute prayer when we only have time to yell out the name of Jesus it is that acceptable prayer that has already prepared a way for us that has already brought us to a place of, with God that he is right there when we call that he's right there when we need him will you stand with me tonight so we have to remember that our prayers must be prepared we must be prepared our prayers can be accepted but our prayers can also be rejected let us do what we can to be acceptable to God, to be pleasing to God. Let's lift our voices and lift our hands. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. I don't want to neglect your word, God. If, if there's anything, Lord, that, that I have in my life, in my heart, why don't you take a moment to ask God right now to, to just wash you, wash your heart, wash your mind. Lord, if there's anything, God, any ought in my heart, any offense in my life, Anything I've harbored, any resent, God, anything I've held on to, Lord, I release that to you right now, God. I release any bitterness. I release any hardness or harshness, God. Any resent, Lord. I release these things to you, God. I give them over into your hands. Lord, I pray for your mercy. I pray, God, for your grace to be applied right now, Lord, to every heart in this place, to every mind in this place. Lord, let there be a washing. Let there be a renewing that would take place. Lord, a washing of the word and a washing of the blood that you shed for us, God. We pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that our prayers may be acceptable, God, that our prayers and our voices may be heard and pleasing to God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.